Thanks to Indeed for sponsoring the Apple Bits XL. Indeed knows hiring needs to be cost-effective when you're running your own business. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash AppleBits. Terms and conditions apply. Cost per application pricing not available for everyone. All right, everybody. Hey, we've got a fun show. We've got some Apple Vision Pro news. We got to talk about Max, M3, M2 Pros, what's coming first, and when will we see them this year or next year? And... If you didn't see on my channel already, I got to sit down with Google CEO Sundar Pichai, and I'm including that interview in this podcast as well because he says some really interesting things about how they're looking at phones as well as how they're thinking about phones and how they think about Apple. Do they think about Apple? Well, you're just going to have to listen to find out. All right, everybody, you know what time it is. Let's get to the show. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the show. It's the Apple Bits XL. Brian Tong here, your host, doing the most for everything good and bad inside the world of Apple. How many times have you heard that intro? I feel like I've said it 285 times because I have. That's what episode we are on. Welcome, everybody. If you are new to this podcast, new to the show, this is where we talk about all the big news inside the world of Apple, also how it affects or connects to the greater tech world as a whole. And we got some really good stuff because like I teased earlier, I got to sit down with Google CEO Sundar Pichai to talk about him. Had a nice, good about like 15 minute conversation and there's a lot of good nuggets that we can all pull from him. And yeah, he addresses Apple as well. Before we get to that, hey, we got a couple orders of business. Yes, some of you have emailed in. Some of you have actually called, but it's it's crazy September, techtober season. So I have received a few of your voicemails and I haven't put them in because I'm still cranking away, pumping out content. I know you've seen my channel. I mean, I'm doing a lot, so just bear with me. But I'd still love to hear from you. All you got to do is record a voice memo, send it in to applebitsshow at gmail.com. That's applebits with a Z at gmail.com. Your name, where you're from, what do you want to talk about? Yes, all that love for you to be a part of the show. Also, this show is brought to you by you. Patreon.com slash Brian Tong is how so many of you have supported my content. You supported this podcast. It starts at $2 per month, goes up to $5, which is like a cup of coffee per month, up to 10, the 25 or the $100 platinum Apple level. What does it cover? You get early access to my content, rewards at different levels, and a completely ad-free version of the show. No ads whatsoever. You will never hear me rambling about this ad ever again if you support at patreon.com slash Brian Tong. All right, let's get to the stories and we're going to kind of slowly move our way through all this, but yes, Apple products are out. 15 Pros, 15s, Apple Watches, Ultra 2s, Series 9s, AirPods Pro 2s. So some of the, I'm still doing some little longer reviews on the Apple Watches just because we kind of know what they are, but I wanted to give it some love and give it some time instead of try to throw out five reviews in a week, which is just impossible. Yeah, can you really review five things in a week? No, you can't, Apple. But hey, well, you know, the more the more content, the better. But, you know, arguably the products that weren't getting the most upgrades and people weren't the most interested in were the new Apple Watches for 2023. And that makes sense for many of us that listen to the show that are plugged in. Yes, we have Apple Watch. But according to Apple, they've told me that two-thirds of the customers that purchase an Apple Watch are new customers. So there's still a whole lot of way for them to go. We don't know exact numbers. We've talked about it on this show. Maybe roughly around 20 to 25% of Apple iPhone owners have an Apple Watch. And Apple is saying that two-thirds of customers are brand new entirely. So there's still a lot of ways to go. But, you know, we've all been, and I've been, kind of hyping up this idea of Apple Watch 10, right? Like to me, you've got to do something special if you're doing Apple Watch 10. You got that big X, you put like four Apple Watches in a formation to form the letter X. It looks cool. It's perfect for marketing. Well, Ming-Chi Kuo, Apple analyst and leaker slash rumor mill contributor is saying that the 2024 Apple Watch, which would be Apple Watch 10, is unlikely to offer any significant innovative experiences, according to him and the supply chain. He believes that the features such as a micro LED display that has been rumored or blood glucose monitoring, which we know that's actually pretty far away, those are at least two years from being added to the Apple Watch. I think blood 
glucose monitoring is even further. It might be even three to five. They still have to get it tested. They still have to get it approved. And Quo says it's unclear if this Apple Watch 10 even shows up next year if it's not compelling enough because I think Series 9 is not that compelling if you have a 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8. I'm serious. I could have been fine with my 4 right now. Not even kidding. So we'll see what happens because Bloomberg's Mark Gurman has been talking about this being the most significant overhaul of the Apple Watch, which would either be and he's also said either in 2024 or 2025, which and the 2025 edition would mark the 10th anniversary of the device. The original watch was announced in September 2014, released in April 2015. Maybe they do something similar, if it's big enough. But according to Bloomberg's Mark Gurman, he had said earlier, like, okay, they're going to do a different form factor. They're going to use more materials that are going to be slimmer. There might be a new health sensor involved, but obviously not the big, big health leap that we're hoping for a thinner case, maybe a new magnetic band attachment system, which I don't want to see, but we don't know if this micro LED display will be ready in 2024. And if not, maybe it pushes this out to 2025. So I'm just the messenger here based on the latest rumors. And I use that in air quotes, Apple watch 10 next year may not be that significant or it can move over to 2025. Hey, save your money. I know, I know there's a lot of you that are flirting with the idea of the Apple Vision Pro. And if you don't need to get an Apple Watch, trust me. And if you really think you're going to save and throw down a minimum of $3,499 for an Apple Vision Pro, just, just wait. All right. Talking about waiting, everyone wants to know when the new Macs are coming. I think we've been kind of hoping to get a preview of the M3. What are some of the others, Macs, that were potentially rumored to be coming out this year? All you know, There are still some rumblings that we might see Macs this year, but most analysts and rumor mills have basically said, hey, new Macs, new chips in 2024. Now, Qualcomm recently this past week outlined its plans for its next-gen chips designed specifically for PCs. It's going to be called the Snapdragon X series set out to come out in 2024, And for them, they're saying this is going to be an inflection point for the PC industry because they're offering next-level performance brought by these new chips. Snapdragon X chips will use the Qualcomm Orion CPU, which is built on chip technology that it got when it purchased the company called Nuvia. Now, Nuvia, get this, was founded by ex-Apple chip designers, and Nuvia designed custom ARM-based chips. They're expected to bring Apple Silicon-like performance to PCs with improved power and efficiency, but this is Snapdragon doing this. Now, in a note from The Verge, they reported that ARM has actually sued Qualcomm and Nuvia for violating their licensing agreements for ARM processor designs and architecture because they believe and claim, ARM claims that the licenses provided to Nuvia are not valid now that the company has been sold to Qualcomm. This is interesting. Now, Will we be seeing Snapdragon X PCs flood the market? I mean, that depends on the performance. That depends on manufacturers aligning with that. It also depends on the OS support and software. But we we saw when Apple dropped their own silicon, we're like, what is the PC world going to do next? And they ha- they were clearly going to do something similar to catch up. And you know, from a raw power standpoint, we are. I mean, you can have a huge machine with a big ass fan blowing really, really hard. And from a raw power standpoint, yeah, they can still be. They we've seen some pieces that can outperform a Mac, but when you're talking about power efficiency, how quiet they are, and the processing power, then you're not. Nothing's touching what Apple can do. And again, the when I look at something like the M2 Ultra in a I'm uh, sorry, an M2 Max in a Mac Mini, like it's it's silly. It's silly how how crazy it is. So that's just kind of brewing, obviously. But then if you want to hear about Macs, there's some new claims that the first M3 based MacBooks will be coming next year. That's according to Digitimes, based on what they're saying in the supply chain. And these will ship next year as well. But at the same time, 
there's a conflicting rumor that's saying, hey, uh, we we might even see we might not see M3s anytime soon, but instead we could see 24 inch IMAX with M2 and M2 Pro before the end of this year. People are throwing things out there like just let's see if they just stick now. But the general thinking is that M3 and the entire family of M3 will finally be showcased and revealed next year. But there's a lot of computers, you know, we saw the first the new redesigned color IMAX 24-inch displays. Those came out in 2021 with an M1, and they haven't been upgraded since, so those are absolutely due. Also due, new screen technology. We've heard rumblings about this for, for, geez, it feels like two years now, but, and we know there are OLED displays already out in the PC market, and like everything, you know, Apple likes to be like, hey, we'll come in here three to five years later. The latest report, according to Ross Young, CEO of Display Supply Chain Consultants, and he's always contributed a lot of really good information about displays and Apple products in the supply chain. Apple's first MacBook Pro models with OLED displays are still at least three years away from launching, according to Young. That's quite a long time. So we know that the benefits of OLED would include you get increased brightness, higher contrast ratio, deeper, deeper blacks, which make the image just pop, improve power efficiency for longer battery life. I mean, those are all key indicators that just make the display so much better. When you see an OLED, trust me, you know it's an OLED. It's a, it pops differently. Even mini LED looks really good, and mini LED pops differently than the standard LCD screen. It is a type of LCD screen. But OLED pop pops. If you're a TV owner, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know, I'm I'm a person who has my laptop completely closed, so I get no benefits of the mini LED or the ProMotion display. And at the same time, I don't really miss it. You know, it's not like I need the ProMotion display. To me, 120 hertz, that's really important, obviously, if you're gaming. But how many of us are gaming on a Mac right now? Maybe in the future but not right now. There's also been reports that wide, widely reported rumors, and Ross Young also reiterated this, that iPad Pro models launching in 2024 will be equipped with OLED displays. So the first iPad Air and iPad Mini models with OLED displays, those are not expected to launch until 2026, but Pro models are expected to see the light of day to be presented to us in 2024. Now, in a recent podcast, I didn't believe that they were going to announce any iPad Pros this year. And someone's like, oh, you want to make a bet on that? And I'm like, no, but I don't think they will. And maybe I should have taken that bet. Maybe I should have. Probably should have. Let's talk some Apple Vision Pro news. When the Apple Vision, Apple Vision Pro came out, everyone was trying to pull out as many details as they could. And one of those was, what is the actual refresh rate of the display's in the Apple Vision Pro, and there had been some presentations that Apple put out that had stated it was it could go up to 90 hertz if needed, but for the most part, it would operate at 60. Well, this was just revealed according to code in the latest beta of Vision OS that it could actually support 100 hertz. And this is code found by M1 Astra that that would be the maximum Vision Pro refresh rate. 100 hertz, but it's a mode that only activates to compensate for detected 50 hertz flicker from artificial lighting. So it's very conditional. Um, The main thing is that this headset would be able to switch to 96 hertz to support video content that's filmed at 24 frames per second. So this is like a multiplier that allows you to properly view content when it's shot at different rates, frame rates. So at least based on this report, it could go up to 100, but you know, that is that going to make a difference? I mean, 120 is for gaming. How, how 60, 60 Hertz is going to be good enough. And for the vision pro let's let, let's focus on getting this thing lighter and more comfortable because those were my concerns from the start. Those are still my concerns. And now it's starting to kind of bubble up that, Hey, uh, this, this could be an issue. So Bloomberg's Mark Gurman recently dropped a report that vision pro to development is specifically focusing on reducing the device's size and weight 
as well as bringing an improved experience for users who need prescription lenses. Now, some of you all are right now is like, I haven't even tried Apple Vision Pro. <laughs> You're right. It's kind of amazing. But it's also $3,499. And also, Meta just released their Quest 3 this week. It costs $500. It's a little more expensive than the previous Meta. But to me, this is the ultimate consumer-friendly VR, and they have some pass-throughs, so let's say VR, AR headset, but the nothing experiential has really changed. Like It's gone thinner. It's lighter. The controls are better. They have haptic, haptic feedback. The pass-through the seat is better, but still not as good as Apple's. And at the end of the day, I'm like, what new experiences or what are you trying to get me to do with this other than play certain games, watch some videos that isn't in the best quality and that and or socialized people are not socializing on uh on vr anymore i mean it was fun for a while and it had its novelty and you had some videos that people threw up on uh youtube about that experience but when again i'll ask the question when was the last time you picked up that oculus quest 2 and that's the thing that worries me the quest 3 is great but if i bought a quest 2 and i haven't picked it up in over nine it might have been almost a year now maybe nine months why, why am I going to spend $500 on a Quest 3 now all of a sudden just because? I know there's plenty of people that love tech and there are some users that are going to go up to the Quest 3 right away, but is there anything really that much more compelling? I'm going to find out. I have the unit here, but obviously I'm still deep in reviews. So my goal is to review the Quest 3 in the next week and a half and we'll see what I think about it. I'm excited. It's it's weird. I'm excited, but I'm skeptical skeptical at the same time. So let's go back to the Apple Vision Pro and Garmin explained that Apple's Vision Products Group has moved on to this next generation of the headset and really they're considering several options. They're considering this idea of a lower end and even more powerful versions of the headset. To me, if it waters down the experience in any way, shape or form, I don't think it's actually in Apple... Look, do I want a cheaper headset? Yes. But when I think about what I saw for $3,499, the fact that adoption is going to be slow, no matter what, even if this thing was $2,000, adoption is going to be slower. I feel like they should just kind of fine tune it and perfect it and yes, work on new generations, but not be in a rush to make a lower end model. Let the current pro kind of stand and over time age out and be that entry level model. I you know, could they make a Apple Vision Pro Air? Okay, sure, make an Air, but it better be from a fidelity and eye motion tracking and responsiveness standpoint and visual standpoint, exactly the same as the Pro. Cool. You know, I I just the experience that I saw if they water it down any it it would it would kind of dilute the brand and the the offering that they're doing. So the more I've thought about it. I'm actually, I'm not saying I like the idea of a $3,499 headset, but I think they should right now, because this is such a new emerging market that Apple hasn't played with, they should just have their statement piece and that is it. Now, if no one's buying this, fine. But do you do you even want a diluted Apple Vision Pro or would you rather at least get the one that ends up eventually becoming cheaper? I think that's where I would stand with this product just because it's already so expensive. It's so wild, but we'll see. Anyways, they're talking about looking at different versions, um, but the priority is making it lighter and slightly smaller because those are the biggest complaints of the first generation. I I knew right away when I was using it, I'm like, there's, I'm so, I'm enjoying this experience so much, but after 15 minutes, I already started feeling, I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. If I'm feeling it like this and I'm hyped up by the demo and I'm like really paying attention to things, normally, you, you know, a lot of people said, oh, I didn't feel anything. I think they were just so in, engaged and enthralled by what they saw. But if you sit there and you're like, wait, could I watch a movie here for an hour? Two hours? The answer for me was absolutely not. Even with this over-the-head strap attachment that was supposed to help counterbalance this thing, but all the way to still in the front, there's no battery pack on on the back strap to offset it. It's just really, it's all up in the front. (laughs) It's got junk in the front. All right, California this week officially adopted the new right to repair legislation with California Governor Gavin Newsom this week, signing it into law. 
And this right to repair law in California requires companies to provide customers with tools to diagnose and repair consumer electronics and appliances. Now, remember, there was a time where Apple themselves sent a letter urging California to adopt the bill, even though Apple had lobbied against other right to repair legislation. So Apple even launched their own self-service repair program, and I did not choose to try to buy the huge, massive, I don't even want to call them briefcases. They're like tool cases, huge, heavy, in their own self-service repair program. And yes, it's kind of funny because I feel like Apple's like just laughing and saying, okay, uh, we typically aren't in the business of right to repair, but now we are. So since you want to do your own service, here's a massive toolkit that's thousands of dollars. Go ahead at it. Best of luck. So this program provides customers with repair kits, repair manuals, components for repairs. Um, You know, this is great for independent repair shops, but for the general consumer at home, I don't know about that. I don't know. But the right to repair bill signed into law in California. There you go. Also, before we uh, take a little breather, just want to pour some liquor out because the lower cost Apple Watch Series 1 is now vintage. And if you remember, there was a Series 0 and then they made like a Series 1. Also Series 0, like that was the year where Apple came out with the very first Apple Watch, which I own. They had the edition watch was that gold one that I believe sold for, was it not 10, $17,000? That has been ended of life. So, you know, the very first Apple Watch generations are being, you know, discontinued, no longer supported, uh, marked as vintage and obsolete by Apple, which is kind of crazy when you think about that because the Apple Watch is 10 years old, almost 10 years old. But those two specifically are obsolete say goodbye i actually just for fun tried searching around for uh i wasn't gonna buy it but a gold edition apple watch there is there are nowhere to be found so whichever two people bought them initially congrats but you don't even see people trying to resell them or be like oh yeah this is great no 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 it there's there's nothing there there's just absolutely nothing there all right let's take a moment to thank the sponsor for this show indeed Hey, what's a game where no one wins? The waiting game. Now, when it comes to hiring, don't wait for great talent to find you. Find them first with Indeed. And when you're hiring, you need Indeed. Indeed makes hiring in one place so easy. Even from the main page, just type in the type of jobs that you're looking for in the search bar, and then a list instantly shows up for jobs in your area. Now, let's talk about Indeed's hiring platform that is second to none. Candidates you invite to apply are three times more likely to apply to your job than candidates who only see it in search, according to US Indeed data. It gets you one step closer to the hire by immediately matching you with quality candidates. Indeed does the hard work for you. Indeed shows you candidates whose resume is on Indeed. Fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. And Indeed's hiring platform matches you with quality candidates instantly. Even better, Indeed's the only job site where you only pay for applications that meet your must-have requirements. Indeed is an unbelievably powerful hiring platform, delivering four times more hires than all other job sites combined, according to Talent Nest in 2019. So join more than three million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash applebits offer good for a limited time. Again, claim your $75 credit now at indeed.com slash applebits. Indeed.com slash applebits. Terms and conditions apply. Need a hire? You need Indeed. Okay, so before we get to the Google CEO Sundar Pichai interview, which is worth 100% worth listening to, um, just some story, stories to set it up. A new report says Google pays Apple 18 to $20 billion a year to be the default iOS search engine. Whew, so it's widely known that Apple and Google, they have a deal, uh, really a considerable monetary agreement that ensures that Google is the default search engine on Apple iOS devices. Now, neither company had revealed the actual amounts, but in 2021, a financial advisor suggested that Google is paying Apple as much as $10 billion a year to maintain the status quo. But now a new investor note 
from analyst claims that Google's payment to Apple is now again between 18 and 20 billion dollars. Now, how is this also how is this revealed? Well, part of this all this digging up of information comes up because there's a recent report as well, maybe about a couple weeks ago, where back in 2020, Microsoft considered selling its Bing search engine to Apple. That was reported by Bloomberg. And think about this, had that acquisition happened, Bing would have replaced Google as the default search engine, right? Things that make you go, hmm. Now, the Apple and Google deal has been under a little more scrutiny because this week, this previous week, uh, I guess about a week and a half ago, there was an antitrust trial between Google and the U.S. Department of Justice with the Department of Justice pointing towards Google's dominance on Apple devices as evidence that Google has a search engine monopoly. Now, we know that Google is the default search engine, but users do have the choice to swap between Yahoo, Bing, I didn't even know this one, DuckDuckGo, or Ecosia as an alternative. Um, Now, Bing has become more popular and there's been more buzz around Bing because of its partnership with OpenAI and its chat GPT technology where you can now ask very specific questions and it generates responses, things like, I want to make a three-course meal for six people tonight and one of them is vegan. And then it'll like go search the web. It'll give you uh, results. Google is also then in this kind of arms race OpenAI and ChatGPT. OpenAI is the company. ChatGPT is like their product. They partnered with Bing to be part of their search engine. Got a little buzz. Then everyone's like, hey, Google, what are you doing? And then Google's like, ah, oh, we 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 got to get on this too because, you know, Google's been kind of the fat cat at the top for a while and they didn't really have anything that gave them a kick in the butt as a challenger. So Google now has released their own chat bot called Bard. And at the Google event that I was just in at New York, they announced that their new Google Assistant will bring Bard and that will allow them to, again, use generative AI to do things like make a grocery list for someone who is on a keto diet plan and likes fruit. I hope I didn't make up some like totally conflicting ideas, but generative AI, we've seen it, you know, used in interesting ways, sometimes little scary and comfortable ways. I don't know if you saw what Adobe Max just did this this week, but they're showcasing their new generative AI features in, a, I believe their platform is called Firefly, and it kind of makes me feel icky. They showcased a video with a man in a suit that didn't have a tie, and then they were able to superimpose a tie, but it created it frame by frame in this video, and you could change the tie. And that's where I'm like, okay, this is not, this is definitely not real, but you're kind of selling it as real. That's where it kind of freaks me out. Okay, anyways, back to the whole Google and Bing and Apple. Ultimately, Google is now, you know, throwing out their own version of a generative AI assistant to help you do things like, let's say you're on a path or on a trail and you have someone who can't walk super long distances or maybe they're a certain age that they're not as active and it can suggest which path to go to. Or they showed a demo where you could take a photo and then you could ask it, hey, could you make a cute caption for social media of this photo? And it creates and generates this and you just post it. So we're starting to get to the point where we are asking very specific questions. It's going to the web and basically not even giving us suggestions, doing the work for us, doing all the work. And so Apple's relationship with Apple, sorry, Google's relationship with Apple is very tight, very tight, and 18 to $20 billion tight to be the default iOS search engine, because search is everything. Now, I just wanted to bring up that story just because it's an interesting, interesting dynamic and relationship they have, and so this leads us directly into my interview with CEO Sundar Pichai, where we talked about AI, we talked about AI on the new Pixel 8 Pro, And I also asked them specifically about how Google is playing to or what they're trying to do when you talk about market share for iPhone versus Android phones, specifically in the US where a recent report from uh, Piper Jaffrey, you know, in my interview, I mentioned 
80% of teens are using iOS, that number is actually closer to 87%, which is huge. And so what is Google going to do or trying to do to get some of that business? They won't be able to completely drastically change those numbers, but they've got to do something, right? So I would just say sit back and relax. I'm Most of you are probably sitting already, but here's my interview with Google CEO Sundar Pichai. All right. All right. Sundar, thanks for hanging out. Well, thanks well, for thanks for the time. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, <laughs> thanks for going to our event. Last, oh, of course. Uh, yesterday and yesterday, I'm flying right back to talk to you and everything. Yeah. I do have I do have one thing before we get started. Okay, so, um, you know, obviously, AI is the huge topic of the year, and also with the announcements. But in an earlier interview, you talked. People have asked you about you know where's Google stand with AI, and I, I believe the quote you said was along the lines of like you know. In cricket, we let the stick do the, the the bat do the talking, right? So I thought to kick things off. Oh my God! We start with a nice big bat. I don't know. You got a little. You got a little swing of ruin you. I, I just a nice English willow. It's a nice bat. Well done. <laughs> well, well balanced. You kind of distracted me now. I got. I got, <laughs> I got to turn my focus back. You know, but I, I love. Uh, you know, I love. There's a famous cricket player who actually says once after he plays well. He says, let the bad do the talking. Oh, and, yeah, yeah. 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 So always kind of believe that. The, so. I mean, I think that, you know, what Google's accomplished in the size and scale of what you're doing, I, you, you do have the right to, to kind of adapt that terminology. So, you know, we were in New York. I was checking out the new phones, and AI is everywhere. I think if you looked up maybe what's the most searched up term, at least in the tech world, I think, and even general consumers, AI is the big thing. So what we're... Knowing you know a lot of what's happening, what was your impressions coming away from Made by Google? Look, I, uh, you know, I was thrilled to see it. You know, for a while we've had this vision, you know, that because we came into the smartphone market much later, right? So what's, what would be our point of view, which is unique and differentiated from what was out there? And from the earliest days, it was clear it would be AI. You know, we had kind of thought of the company as AI first, and, and Pixel was a good way we approached it. That's why we started building Google Tensor, because we kind of saw this future where you, you know, the, the underlying SOC architecture needs to evolve to support ML, AI in a deep way. So it's been sequentially every year, it's been building on it. And this year, obviously, it's, it's been a generative AI moment. So bringing all that and, and, and putting it uh, in the context of the phone is something I love to see because you know, when you do stuff in a phone, it's very real for people. People are interacting with their devices. So it's a good way to bring AI to life. And uh, so I thought, I thought it was good. Um, there's a chock full of features, uh, you know, all, all based on AI and including on-device models now. But more importantly for me, the foundation of how we are building Pixel really helps set the stage for not just Pixel and Android to innovate with AI for many years to come. I think also when I see the features that you're rolling out, you know, we've heard when AI became this really big buzzword, you had, you know, two camps. You have these people like, oh, there's, it's, it can be dangerous and there's also, it can be really useful and obviously there's a balance in between, you know, you, you're, you as Google are evaluating, you know, when, when should we push, when shouldn't, when should we pull back? As we've seen these features ramp up, I mean, I called it the smartest smartphone on planet Earth because of what you're doing. Um, how do you see this continue to evolve? Because it's what, we're at Pixel 8 now, and I've, I feel we're really hitting this inflection point of now, oh, now we see what Google's really doing. Um, where, where are you seeing it go, and how, you know, how, are you happy with where it's at right now? You know, I mean, this is, uh, it's been great to see the evolution, right? We wanted to do Pixel because you have a clear vision for computing forward. And obviously you're accomplishing that as Android, working closely with our partners and will continue to do so. But sometimes it's tough to build out that vision without you being able to do it yourself too. And, and that's where Pixel really comes into play. It also really guides the ecosystem. Uh, in any category, like when we've gone and done Pixel, it really gels that category. You know, take watches and wearables us doing a Pixel watch and working closely with Samsung on Wear OS, that really has helped us do better in that category. So I've always felt, you know, because Android is a big ecosystem, sometimes you need to guide the ecosystem too. 
uh, Pixel plays a super important role there. And we're also trying to build a business there. <laughs> and, and, you know, and we are the challenger in this big smartphone market. But that gets us to rethink and reimagine and be a bit more, uh, we don't need to be conservative. We can try new things. Um, and, and that's what you're seeing, right? And uh, be it Tensor, be it uh, really putting a set of AI features forward on the phone. All that are new ways we can think and push the boundary of what, what phones and computing can be. So I'm really excited by the evolution. But we'll continue building on this. Just, just even seeing the portfolio broaden. Just seeing us open our first store in Mountain View. Yeah. So to me, all of this is, is an evolution, and we are in it for the very, very long term. Well, this evolution is really apparent in numbers because, like you said, you're still a challenger. And a recent, you know, kind of one of the reports talked about how you have doubled your market share from a year ago. Now that goes from 2% to 4%. But when you're talking about a roughly $62, $63 billion industry of smartphones, I mean, that, that's a significant sign that tells you, okay, you know, you're seeing data that points to, all right, we're actually moving the needle a little bit, right? And so we talk about market share. You know you're a challenger, which I love, like, the fact that you're like, hey, we're acknowledging it, uh -huh. right? You can't deny that. And there's a recent, this, there's, they have this, like, kind of teen report that talks about, I don't know if you've heard of this, that talks about, like, wh what phones and ecosystems are teens using right now. And this is a challenge that you guys have to face because they said right now roughly 80% of teens are using, in the U.S. at least, are using iPhones and 20% are on Android. Now we know globally, Android is somewhere around like 70% global usage. So how, how do you think that you, the fact that you're a challenger, the fact that you're looking at this differently, what are you hoping to do to you know, change some of those dynamics? It's not gonna flip you know, 180, but there's obviously, you're, you're starting to actually chip away with it. Like how have you gotten to those steps and what do you need to do to kind of lure more of those people over? Because in the tech world, everyone loves what you guys are doing. Right, but it's the consumer, the general consumer, those teens, that next generation that you kind of got to convince, right? Your kids, right? Like the, that generation is who you have to target. What are you guys trying to do with that? I mean, look, uh, Apple is obviously very strong, uh, particularly in the U.S. Uh, I think they have, um, you know, real strong network effects like iMessage, mm -hmm. which tends to play out in the demographics you're talking about, and, and the network effect is super strong. So I don't always, I'm not sure I have a good answer for that, right? And what we are trying to do is things which are in our control, which is build the best phones possible, really innovate on the experience and, and build from that foundation. Uh, I, think, I think AI gives us an opportunity uh, to push the frontier in a different way. And at the end of the day, look, that's the great thing about competition, users benefit, users have choice makes your life interesting. It does, it does, it does. <laughs> Definitely interesting. And I, I think it's good, you know, drives innovation. So I get excited by that, uh, excited by that. But, you know, uh, this is, there is no one-step answer. You kind of have to do all the part of what makes the smartphone market uh, difficult is you have to get 100 things right. And, and you're speaking about one of the, one of the, one of the issues. Uh, we worked hard on RCS. Mm -hmm. Part of the reason we've really pushed hard on RCS, I think it would be great if phones can interoperate on messaging, right? You know, your phone call works across, your messaging seamlessly needs to work. I think everyone agrees with that, right? I, I think almost everyone agrees <laughs> with that. So, you know, so it's good. So we're trying to shake up those things and, and see, see what we can do. But from my perspective, what's important is we are adding new perspectives, new innovations, and making the market dynamic, and which I think Pixel uh, you know, genuinely does. And, and it's growing year on year, even though the overall smartphone market has been kind of in a more, uh, I would say, challenging situation for the past couple of years. Yeah. So the fact that Pixel has done well in that construct, I think, I think is a testament to the work by the team. I'm really excited for it. Well, you know, we've talked about it, and not to beat, beat it to, you know, beat it over, but it's, it's really, you guys are really doing something different with your phones, right? You have to, and this whole AI approach, I look at, you, you guys showcased Google Assistant with Bard for the first time, like, to show it publicly facing, and you, you see the demos, and I can't wait to actually use it on a daily, because I, there's a lot of gold in there, and I know that is just, again, much like Magic Eraser became Magic Editor, this Google Assistant Bard, this first generation that we're seeing, has so much more to go because of how you guys are plugging it in with all the services and, and we know how important ecosystem is. 
your ecosystem. Everyone uses, you know, Google is touched by Google in some way, shape, or form. And so now Google Assistant, which when it first came out was the best assistant, still in my opinion, still the best and smartest voice assistant out there. And so now throwing on this barred layer with, um, you know, generative AI properties, how, how do you see that evolving? Uh, you know, I mean, that'll be the frontier of what AI is. You know, what, what I get excited about that is you give users and over time developers basically access to the latest in, you know, foundation models and the, and the frontier models. So we are, you know, I've been excited by BOD has been, we release BOD every six weeks um, and we will upgrade it to Gemini when Gemini is ready, which is our next generation foundation model. And, and with the assistant, it'll help us fin finally realize the true potential of what the assistant can be, right? We always had this vision for a personal assistant, which you can rely on and it helps you get things done and it's really making your life easier. But the underlying technology wasn't quite ready to fulfill the promise. But now I think with generative AI, we can take one next big step in that direction. So that's what this moment is, what makes it exciting. And I think you'll really see it play out in 2024, right? As we all bring the next generation models and it all works in assistant well. So it's poised to be an exciting year ahead. And, uh, but ultimately we have to translate all this into use cases that make sense for people, right? And, and, uh, and you know, sometimes the use cases may be simple, like I saw the evolution of call screen in the new Pixel phone, right? And you know, it's, a, it's a great evolution. I, I genuinely, as a user, use it, mm -hmm. and you know, it's super convenient. That's AI working behind the scenes to make your life a bit easier in that moment. I could be in a meeting, you know, and this call comes and I can handle it, right? So it's, it's getting those basics and, and really making a difference in moments that matter. That's what people respond to. And so I'm excited about what's ahead. I know you're excited. I'm not here to get any scoops from you, but would you be able to elaborate maybe how you're thinking this next generation in 2024 will be different than, you know, I know we just heard Google Assistant with Bar, but where are you hoping to push it in 2024? Are you talking about Assistant or Pixel or? Uh, assist, uh, assistant, yeah, assistant. and Bard. No, look, I, th I think our focus would be to, uh, you know, bring in LLMs and generative AI into it in a, in a responsible way, uh, responsible way. But, you know, can you, can you take the Assistant? And today, where the Assistant works well is if you have simple commands on your phone, but the more complex the tasks mm -hmm. get, you know, it, it, that, that's where the brittleness of the current generation of assistants are, right? And, and, and so the question is, can we take that leap forward and can we do more complex tasks for people, right? And, and, uh, and, and time will tell because it depends on where the capabilities of the underlying models evolve to and we're pushing that hard. And so we'll be good to see together, but my hope is by 24, we kind of do a next level of tasks which are a bit more involved and more complex for people to make their lives easier. So we also know that it's you know the 25th anniversary. You you kind of addressed it of Google. Um, you've seen so many things, and we know you know AI is even the, the last two letters of your name, right? It's like it's built, it's oh. coded into you. Has anyone pointed that out and said like, Sundar pitch AI? You know, <laughs> I didn't process it. Uh, but, you know. But I did, you know, I did have a laugh, chuckle after Google I.O. I think somebody edited the, oh. my video and it had just AI, AI, oh, AI. Yeah, yeah. AI, 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 generative AI, generative AI. So I thought it was, uh, I thought that was fun, but uh, fun to see, but the name, name is a new twist. Okay, we're gonna, we're gonna put on, well, maybe we'll make a t-shirt out of it, put it in this store. Ah, but probably not, not a good idea. <laughs> but, yeah. but you know, I, I wanted to ask you, You've, you've seen tech change so much. You've been here at the epicenter of it. Is there any moments maybe that you could reflect on and be like, wow, it, it, 25 years later, where we are, what, what has maybe surprised you? Maybe something hasn't surprised you, but I've got to imagine there's been some surprises along your journey of seeing how technology has evolved from your perspective. Is there, is there any moment that you could kind of pick out when you think about it? I know I'm putting you on the spot that is like, okay, this was a foundational moment for me or for technology that really sticks out for you. Look, uh, ironically for me, you know, it was around 2015, 2016, uh, uh, you know, I, 
we were working on Google Photos and, you know, and we had uh, seen the Google Brain team had shown what you could do with neural networks, deep neural networks with image recognition. And in 2014, we acquired DeepMind mm. and I saw the power of the general uh, agents they were building. And we kind of put a lot of that work together in 2016 with Google Photos and really used machine learning to really make photos much, much, I mean, searching photos, organizing photos much, much better. That was an aha moment for me. And, you know, I said, I said we are, as a company, we are going to be AI first in everything we do. And we've been doing that since then. Uh, that's why, be it Smart Compose in Gmail or even the early work in Pixel on computational photography or, yeah. you know, Magic Eraser or building Google Tensor. So it's been a journey. And now there's one more uh, inflection with generative AI. Mm. Uh, so there have been many moments all the way from smartphone, I mean, PC to the web to the smartphone to now what we are going through with AI to things like AR ahead of us. Uh, the only thing constant about technology is that it's going to change and evolve, right? And, and so, you know, but, you know, I feel our work is to kind of harness it to make sure it ultimately benefits people and society, right? And, that, you know, that's what's the most important thing to do. And, uh, but it's exciting to be in a moment of what I feel is a profound uh, moment, and AI will be a big platform shift. And while in the short term it'll go through ups and downs, if you take a, if you step back and take the long term view, it's one of the most profound shifts that will happen in technology and will ultimately impact society in a deep way. So it's a big moment, as big as it gets. That's great. So. Sundar, thank you so much for your time. It was, right, it was fun. It was, it was great it. to hang out with you. And you know, also just on behalf of creators, I just want to say thanks for making the time for us as well. And you know, we contribute to the YouTube platform that is there, that is under the Google, you know, um, umbrella. And it's it's been great. And just thanks for making time for us. My creators are the heartbeat of uh, YouTube, <laughs> and it's what makes everything possible. And I, I love. I mean, I I get a lot of. Uh, things out of YouTube, and uh, I may send you a cricket video to show. Hey, hey, I, I, I'm, I'm ready to watch it. Yeah, I'll send you the video of what I meant by when I said the bad does the yes. talking. Yes, I'll do that. I'll, I'll, I'll wait to see it, all right? All right, take all right, care. Thanks, Adar. Appreciate Bye. it, man. Bye. Thank you. All right, that was just a really awesome opportunity, and I mean, I, I could not, I could, I would not have been able to tell you that going independent, that I would have had the opportunity to interview both Apple CEO Tim Cook and Google CEO Sundar Pichai, both of them in the within a year of each other. That's kind of wild. So, uh, and you know, I always give all the thanks to you all who have supported me, who listen to this podcast, who watch my videos, who support me on patreon.com slash Brian Tong. All of it is part of this like this crazy puzzle. And I love tech. I love this field. It is so fascinating. And to me, you know, I could make Apple videos all day on my channel, but it would honestly eventually kill me. And so I love being able to explore in these different areas. The whole point of my channel is tech, geek, and culture, and being able to see that companies get it and understand it. And I'm not just chasing clickbait, but I'm chasing like just quality stuff. That's what I care about. I just chase the stuff I care about. Um, it's cool to be able to, I guess, be... I don't, I don't want to say validated, but I guess, yeah, what my efforts have been validated and you all have been such a huge part of that. So uh, I did find what was really cool in this interview is when I asked Sundar about that dynamic of US teens and how they're addressing it, you know, he didn't back down from it. He said many times in the interview that they're the challenger, right? They acknowledge it. So they come from it really from a realistic perspective but at the same time they're like yeah we know we're the challenger but guess what we don't really care we're just gonna put our heads down we're gonna build the phone that we believe we want to make with ai first and they're actually freaking doing it like the pixelate pro is an awesome phone it's i feel you know my review is going to be coming up in a few days and i feel like and you have all felt how many times you said uh oh, smartphones are the same they're not changing much if there's any company that is changing what a smartphone feels like and can do right now and, and try and shift things in a new direction, it is 100% Google. And some of you may or may not like these AI features. Some of you might feel like, ooh, they're kind of icky. I have no problem with them because they're, you know, magic eraser and editor. They're at least removing things and trying to. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not. Uh, you have, you know, magic, there are 
audio editor, it remo- it's removing background sounds. You have this feature called best take where, you know, how many times have we taken pictures during the holidays and someone's not looking the right direction and you wish that you had a picture where, oh, I wish it was this face and not that one. And you can finally combine it. Best take is like from a moment seconds away from each other where you can then choose the faces that you want in the picture. Maybe your pet's looking at the camera only one time and everyone else is not. Or kids, like they're always looking in different directions. But if you don't like this idea of like, oh, this wasn't real in the moment, I don't think it's too icky yet. It, it's it's writing a fine line, but that's Google's job to be like, what is okay and what isn't, and we will react to that. And so I'm okay with what they're doing. And if you're not, you don't have to use it. But instead of just staying, kind of ignoring everything else that's going on around us, look at what Google's doing. Always look at what Samsung is doing. Look at what other companies even over in Asia are doing. and pull from the things that you like and realize, holy cow, this ecosystem, this Apple ecosystem is really good, but there's actually a lot of incredible stuff outside of it that people that are following it are so frustrated by being in the ecosystem because we get those features like three to five years later. And this AI stuff, this is, I don't, I don't know if Google's going to try to bring it to the iPhone eventually because they've brought some of their services here, but if they really want to be differentiator, you know, processing speed and cameras is really what people talk about now. Software features that are actually useful, but are really smart. I'm I'm just, you can tell in my voice, it wasn't because I talked to Sundar. Like before that, before even I got to New York, I was excited because they're doing something different. And now we finally see a product that's not going to all of a sudden shift the dynamics of the market, but something that's truly different something that's refreshing, something that's like, like, you know, deep in tech and innovation. And man, you got to love that. Don't worry. I'm still in the ecosystem, but I also did buy a Pixel 8 Pro because I think it's that, that awesome of a phone. And I want to use it sometimes. I want to use it like on the weekends. I want to goof around with it, not just like review it for a week and then put it aside and never look at it again. So that's where I stand. Hey, I'm going to stop blabbling here because I've been talking enough, but I hope that you all really, really enjoyed that interview. It was an awesome get, and uh, I'm thankful that they recognized you know, that I can do cool things like that, and ultimately, I bring those cool things to you all. Okay, everybody. Hey, before we go, we got to give big thanks to our Patreon supporters at the Platinum Apple level, Brandon Ledford, Gil Cabrera, Wesley Frader, Jarrett Lewis, Michael Gigliotti, Atari Koenigsegg, and Gregory Ford. Thank you so much for your support and thank you to all of you who continue to listen continue to watch and man we keep on doing the damn thing it's episode 285 of the podcast so we're gonna hit 300 pretty soon in about three months so maybe around the time the apple vision pro comes out that's gonna be fun all right everybody hey take care be safe we'll see you soon talk to you i guess next week same bat time same bat channel it's the apple bits xl baby peace